Today, part two of the modern state of Israel in Bible prophecy with special guest Thani Abu Hamid on this week's edition of Mideast News Brief. And hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Mideast News Brief. I am your host, Winston R. Holland. We are in part two of the question of, does the Bible have anything to say about the modern state of Israel? Was this a fluke, or was this a miracle, like Thani and I tend to believe? And was this foretold thousands of years ago by the Jewish prophets? Let's dive in today with our special guest, Thani Abu Hamid. Thani, welcome back to the broadcast. I'm glad to be back. I'm excited to talk about all this. Absolutely. Well, um, Thani, real quick, if you wouldn't mind letting us know, because I did not do this in the previous broadcast, how can we uh, keep up with your ministry? Because Thani's a full-time missionary. Uh, how can we keep up with your ministry? How can we keep up with you? And Thani is also a recording artist par excellente, in my opinion. And uh, he's very good at what he does. And so I, if you wouldn't mind also telling people how they can get a hold of and listen to your, your music. Sure. Um, well, if you're interested in following what we do on the field here in Lebanon, my family and I, uh, as missionaries, you can look for us on Facebook. Um, we have a closed group. If you find me, Fanny Abu Hamad, A-B-U-H-A-M-A-D, you can friend me, let me know that you're interested, and we can talk and uh, get you updated with newsletters, or you know, we can sit and have an email conversation or whatever. Um, if that's something you're interested, we also have a website that may be not functioning right now, but it should be working, hopefully by the time that you are hearing this, theabuhamids.org. Um, as for my music, uh, you're too kind, Ryan, but uh, if you are interested in hearing my music, um, you can find me on virtually all of the digital media for streaming or music buying, YouTube even. Uh, if you just search my name, Thani, T-H-A-N-I, um, I've got a couple of albums out there. And uh, actually hoping to do something new this summer. So oh, uh, nice. maybe I'll be able to add to that catalog. But uh, yeah, Thani, YouTube, Spotify, Deezer, Apple Music, whatever you have, I should be there. Awesome, awesome. And I can just say that uh, I, I highly recommend his music. Uh, very talented. He's not, not merely a biblical scholar, but also also quite the recording artist. So we kind of get the, the full package. And just to give you guys maybe a little preview, Thani and I are, um, well, I say Thani and I, but Thani um, is actually going to be doing a, a podcast for us in the coming months. So uh, Cross Network Global Media, which I mentioned uh, in a previous week's broadcast is the the name of, of my company. And we are kind of expanding out with a more podcasts and more shows. Uh, Mideast News Brief is just the beginning. And uh, Thani is going to be doing one of those uh, as well for us. So uh, we're, real, we're real excited about that. And we'll keep you guys posted as that time comes sooner. We'll keep you guys posted about the release date uh, for all of that. Um, now, as... Of this broadcast being published on June 14th, uh, 2019, 
I'm actually in the process of coming home from a cruise uh, to Alaska. I'm sure we had a great time. Um, and even though I couldn't deliver you guys the news, I certainly didn't want to deprive you guys of Mideast News Brief. We know how crucial the show is to everyone's emotional stability. Um, so I asked Danny if he would come on to discuss the modern state of Israel and Bible prophecy because it's not only an ultra-cool topic, but in my opinion, as I uh, mentioned uh, to maybe to some extent last week, but uh, maybe didn't go into as much as I was planning, actually, but uh, I do believe the, the, the events are very relevant and even um, helps to shape foreign policy for Israel. And just a real quick example is um, I mentioned Michael Oren's book, Power, Faith, and Fantasy, last week, but I also read another book by him called Ally. He was the Israeli ambassador to the U.S. from 2009 to 2013, and he tells a story in there. He doesn't give the congressman's name, but he goes into a congressman's office. There's a Bible on the table, and here you have a U.S. congressman, a congressman at his desk, and the Israeli ambassador to the U.S. uh, in the chair, and the congressman like looks at the ambassador, looks down at the Bible, and he says, This Bible tells me, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So you just tell me what your country needs. So if, uh, this, this, so even if you don't even believe in the Bible, right, uh, understanding what the Bible has to say about Israel, it, it's actually very, very influential on, uh, on foreign policy. So even if you're just a foreign policy wonk and you're just interested in diving into that kind of stuff, uh, this is still very, very relevant, I think, as that story illustrates. Um, But before we dive in, real quick, I'm just going to briefly mention, I'm not going to go into it or anything, but I I feel like uh, I I need to bring this up. Today, at the publication of this broadcast, June 14th, is actually the two-year anniversary of really the day that I experienced the biggest loss of my life. Um, My father, uh, Winston Ronald Holland, I am Winston Ryan Holland, um, so almost a junior, not quite. Uh, my father, uh, Winston Ronald Holland, was uh, walking across a very uh, small bridge in his neighborhood. He was walking in the bike lane, and unfortunately, a car struck him, and uh, he subsequently subsequently died. I was actually in Utah at a convention at the time, and anyway, it was a very it was a pretty uh, brutal uh, brutal experience, as you can imagine. He had actually survived two heart attacks and was doing very well, very healthy when this happened. So this wasn't like kind of typical with with a lot of people with their parents. They get maybe get cancer or, you know, dementia or something like that. And there's a long process and the family has a lot of time emotionally to prepare for their parting. This was not the case. This was the exact opposite. And uh, my dad was and is someone that I love deeply, who I uh, contribute uh, so much of my faith being uh, growing up in the church, albeit a different denomination um, than what I'm a part of now, but laid a, an incredible foundation for my understanding of God and the scriptures and Jesus and really kind of paved the way for my uh, eventual uh, conversion to Christ at 19. And uh, he was just, he was, a f- he was a fun guy. People loved being around him. He was into... 
uh, all kinds of stuff. He made leather holsters. He made his own bullets. He was a big guy. He was a big gun guy, um, but very uh, committed to his family, committed to his community, committed to service, um, and he just did. He just did all kinds of things uh, to even when money was really tight. We we a lot of times barely even knew it. I, I, if I can just say one story about the kind of guy my dad was, was that there was uh, one day we go off to school. I'm probably in elementary school, and we were so hard up on cash that the power company turned our lights off, and we didn't have any electricity. My dad, who was a prolific musician, he was actually in a rock and roll band. They cut a few records back in like the late 60s or something, you know, uh, just uh, nothing big, not like the Beatles or anything, but uh, uh, cut, a f- cut a few records. And uh, uh, he went, he grabbed his guitar. He, uh, as he called it, he bummed his guitar and he um, made some money during the day. And by the time we got home from school, the lights were back on. Um, and so that was just the kind of guy he was, very committed. I love him. I miss him. Um, I hope God is letting him kind of uh, peer out the window of, of heaven, and he's able to watch me right now. Uh, I'm not sure how all that works theologically, but, um, uh, but yeah, I very much, very much greatly, uh, greatly miss him and uh, just appreciate him. And I'm just thankful to God for him and the, the father that he was uh, to me growing up. So I just wanted to mention that and honor him on this uh, two-year anniversary of his, uh, of his passing. All right, Thanny. Um, uh, again, thank you so much for being with us for part two of this uh, interview. I thought part one was just absolutely fascinating. I learned a lot. Uh, Thanny and I didn't go through all this be- beforehand. He sent me an outline and stuff, but I uh, really got kind of the full breadth of his teaching and, 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 uh, and understanding on it. So I'll just kind of let you um, take over the wheel from here. Um, yeah, and kind of let let you drive it. I know this this episode we're really going to jump into the scriptural side of things. So, uh, Thani, Abu Hamid, take it away. All right. So, the last broadcast, what we covered was we we looked at the the basic necessity for understanding that the Israel and the Church are different entities and that neither one necessarily nullifies or replaces the other, um, that even though the Church is a new creation and exists now in this period of time uh, that we believe as, as uh, believers, um, that Israel is still in the mind of God and He has promises that He has yet to fulfill to them um, that they need to reckon on in the future. So there's still a future program for Israel and that helps us to move into what are the original promises of God. And that's, we looked at the Abrahamic and Palestinian covenants, uh, in Genesis and Deuteronomy respectively. And we saw where, uh, it's written down that God originally made these promises, uh, to Abraham and to Moses about, um, the Jews having ownership and possession of this land um, that we call Palestine now, but is is that land that we know of in the Middle East. Talked briefly about Zionism. Now we get to actually hopefully answering the question, which is, what does the Bible say about 1948? Does it say anything about 1948? Um, that kind of thing. So, right. um, Ryan, you may remember when we talked uh, briefly, you know, caught up, 
updated each other trying to figure out how to make this episode. There was one week where I, uh, right after you asked me to come up with this information for this interview, I went to two theologians that I really respected, and they had very differing viewpoints. One theologian told me that he believed that it was impossible that 1948 was a fulfillment of some of these Old Testament prophecies, like at the end of last week's broadcast, you mentioned a sermon by Spurgeon, and he was talking about Ezekiel 37, which was the prophecy sometimes called the Valley of Dry Bones. So this one theologian is saying it's impossible that these prophecies are fulfilled in 1948 because they're conditional on Israel turning to the Lord and obeying his voice. And um, realistically, we, we couldn't justify that the political state of Israel or the population of Israel in any way, at least in any majority, it has done that, turned to the Lord and um, recompensed. Another theologian that I talked to said somewhat of an opposite. He believed that historically, I mean, history kind of speaks for itself with the fact that the Jewish population has existed for the last 2,000 years and miraculously. I mean, you can fill me in more on the actual events um, that uh, occurred right after 1948, but as I understand it, there was some pretty miraculous stuff that happened. And not only did Israel essentially become a nation in one day, um, but also when in the coming weeks, when the entirety or, or the Middle East all around Israel came bearing down on them in war, Israel somehow managed to fend all of those nations off. I still don't, I still don't understand it. I still don't <laughs> fathom that. This, I mean, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Right? Well, and not, o- not, mean, o- not only that, but then you have, uh, you know, so you had the Arab-Israeli war, 48 to 49, you have, um, in which at that point, People don't realize this, but Jordan actually occupied what we call uh, Judea and Samaria and what many today call the West Bank of Israel. And they illegally occupied that for about 20 years in the same way with Egypt, because Egypt invaded as well. And they illegally occupied Gaza for 20 years Mm -hmm. until the 1967 Six-Day War, when the um, about, I believe, about five Arab nations— all um, colluded, <laughs> hot-button word of the day, colluded um, to invade and destroy Israel. And in six days, one, two, three, four, five, six, Israel defeated their enemies. They regained control of the West Bank that Jordan had been illegally occupying. Interestingly, there wasn't a resolution every other day in the United Nations to, con- to condemn that. And they, they got back the, the Gaza Strip from Egypt as well. So, um, which they were illegally occupying. So, and then you have the 1973 Yom Kippur War, right? Which uh, they were they were able to to win and, and defeat their enemies. And then they've had all of these intifadas, or also known as uh, uprisings. And uh, so, th- there's been many things, especially in Israel's early history, that could have. And it was really the ultimate goal was to wipe Israel off the map, push the Jews into the Mediterranean Sea, and it just seems like miraculously. Time after time after time, uh, the the nation of Israel prevailed. It's 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 truly remarkable when you look at the history. Because, I mean, it uh, this is where I think 
there, I'm going to talk a little bit about the different kind of viewpoints in, in the dispensational school of thought as to what the modern state of Israel actually is. But one of them uh, believes it's just a historical fluke. Um, perhaps God can use it, but it has nothing to do with Old Testament prophecy. But I think that that viewpoint starts to get thin when you look at Israel's history over the last 50, 60, 70 years. Um, with all of these wars that you've mentioned, I didn't know half of those. And the fact that Israel <laughs> still remains standing through all of that is, like I said, keyword miraculous. That's that's the way that I would choose to look at it. So I agree. Like I said, right before I, I, I get into this, is I, I mentioned last week that I, I might be saying that's a good question, Ryan. I don't know, because, um, you know, this is where, you know, this is, it gets understanding the basics of the Abrahamic and Palestinian covenants and the roots of Zionism and the differences between Israel and the church, that stuff I'm, I think, you know, I feel pretty solid on, but now as we move into actually all of these passages, and let me tell you, there are a lot, um, <laughs> yeah. it starts to get daunting. And, uh, and this is where I'll be very forefront and just say, um, I have an opinion that I've come to, but, you know, I very realistically, in a couple of weeks, as I see these broadcasts come out, I might have a different view. But <laughs> sure. I think in any case, it's good to talk about it. It's good to bring up. I'm going to do my best to bring up the passages, um, detail what I think. I pick six verses, six passages in specific that I think are key and bring them to your mind and uh, and just we can work through it and, and uh just get all of this out in the open. I yeah. Think. So, yeah. Excellent. Let's dive. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's dive in. So, like I said, there, I, in dispensational, I mentioned dispensationalism briefly last broadcast, but um, in dispensational thought, I've come across four four views um, as I I dug into really dozens of books, and actually, just a quick side note, um, I thought about uh, maybe having those resources uh, outlined in maybe an EndNotes document or something that we could attach at the uh, on your website when you post the the broadcast, along with a list of the 40 to 50 verses that I consulted, um, in case any of any of you who are listening are uh, yeah, and, and I curious. Wanted, absolutely. We'll, yeah, we'll post the links to these resources in the show notes, which those will be up at mideastnewsbrief.com or in the... Uh, also, if you uh, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you subscribe, it'll be there. So you can have some, we'll have some links to Thaney's uh, information, his ministry, as, as well as his music, and then uh, for further reading on, on this topic. Beautiful. Beautiful. So as I, as I dug into all these books, trying to get a standpoint, not only dispensational, I, I dug into the covenantal and replacement theology, figure out how they see all this stuff. Well, within dispensationalism, there's, I think, four main viewpoints that I came across. Uh, one is that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That one's been pretty popular, especially with the uh, rise of Christian Zionism in the last century. Another school of thought is that the modern state is uh, really a historical fluke, and it's not a fulfillment of any biblical prophecy. A third one is the modern state is a partial fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Some some theologians see the what's happening within history and having to kind of 
make that work with what they read in the scriptures. And um, so they're saying maybe, maybe the fact that, you know, it's very clear that Israel hasn't turned their face to the Lord, haven't been regenerated or made any sort of national conversion or anything like that. Um, but uh, we see that they're a political entity. Maybe it's a slow process and, and they'll get there eventually. That's a third point of view. The last point of view is the one that um, I ascribe to currently, and it's that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of some biblical prophecy. And to, to basically illustrate further the viewpoint is that I believe that there are two distinct international regatherings of Israel prophesied. Um, one, in unbelief, purely politically, that we see today, um, and then one in faith toward the Lord God again, and I believe that that one will likely occur at the beginning of what is called the millennium or the messianic age, which is another eschatological end times topic that I don't want to dig too much into. The topic sure. is already complicated as it is, yeah. but... But it's bas basically uh, to, the, the belief, right, that um, there's going to be a, a great tribulation of seven years. Jesus is going to come back at the end of that seven years, and he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years. And then there will be a little skirmish at the end of that, and then we'll have the final judgment and eternal age, basically. Exactly. Exactly. That's my current standpoint, is that um, we'll see what we see in 1948 today. You know, their political entity, a clear regathering a fulfillment of some of the Old Testament prophecy, but there are other Old Testament prophecies that sound very similar that I think are talking about a different time. Um, during the Great Tribulation, like you mentioned, there's a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. I think that Israel will be dispersed again, unfortunately. Um, they will experience a lot of tragedy. The whole world will be, actually. But then at the end of that seven years, Christ will return, literally, and um, reestablish the kingdom of Jerusalem, and he will be ruling as king over the entire earth from Jerusalem, and the Jews will be his people again. Oh, can you imagine? Um, what so, a day, huh? What a day. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> oh, come Lord, come Lord Jesus. Now I think is a great time for us to dig into the actual scriptures. So like I mentioned, there are a lot of verses that I had to sift through, but um, I did my best to boil it down to three verses per individual regathering. So there are two regatherings, I think, that are prophesied in the Old Testament. One in unbelief that we see today, one in faith that we're going to see somewhere in the future. And three verses for each. So I, I guess let's go ahead and just uh, jump right into the first verse that I'm going to talk about. So this is what I believe fits with what we saw occur um, in 1948 when Israel became a nation once again. And I'm going to pull from a passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 20, verses 33 through 38, and I'll just read it for you verbatim, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. All right, let's do it. So verse 33 starts, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. 
and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So, first of all, at the very beginning, we see the Lord God uh, declaring, and he uses this phrase twice, verbatim. There are three parts to the phrase. Mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and wrath poured out. And he uses that phrase twice, once at the end of verse 33, once at the end of verse 34. And in between those phrases, we have the very beginning of verse 34, which sounds a lot like what we're seeing in, I believe, earlier in the last broadcast, Aliyah. This is the word that the uh, Jews are using to the land of Israel. Verse 34 says, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered. How does he do it with a mighty hand and outstretched arm and with wrath poured out? And I don't want to make um, any, be very careful in what I'm about to say because I know that it has implications, but I don't think it's a mistake that we saw Israel come together in 1948 shortly after the travesty that was the Holocaust. You know, I don't want to make any implications about, you know, God's hand and all that, but but I think that it's clear that seeing the Jewish people uh, come together and find safety and togetherness in this land, um, I don't think is a mistake. And I think that this verse, this passage in Ezekiel shows us that uh, it's uh, it has nothing to do with uh, faith. You know, we're going to read other scriptures that talk about conditions, basically, before I will bring you back, before I will bring you out from all the different places in the world, um, bring you back into the land of Israel, you have to obey my voice again. We don't see anything like that in this in this passage. We see a lot of talk of something called judgment, which, and, and not only that, but it's also Ezekiel is paralleling, or maybe the Lord God specifically is paralleling this uh, this future time of gathering them together to enter into judgment with the wilderness uh, of the land of Egypt, which if you may remember from Sunday school, way back when the Jews um, experienced a time they were uh, captive in the land of Egypt, and then Moses um, brought them out, and they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, the desert, um, before they came across the promised land where they were to rest. So Ezekiel is writing a very clear parallel between this potentially future with the wilderness. I'm um, sorry, hey, Thaney, you cut so, out, hey, Thaney, you, know, uh, you cut out for a bit. Could you yeah. say that last part again about the, the future? Yeah, absolutely. Ezekiel is paralleling this fu potentially future regathering of Israel and uh, judgment that is that God is referring to with what happened many years ago in the past with Moses and the Jews after they escaped Egypt, before they entered the Promised Land. 
So to me, that screams that if we if we look at the what happened with the Jews and Moses um, coming out of Egypt, they spent 40 years wandering around in the desert before they could enter the promised land. And the reason for that was of their unfaithfulness. Right. They were disobeying. There was a lot of stuff they were doing wrong that God was waiting for them to turn their face back to him. And then at that point, then they could enter into the promised land. It sounds a lot like maybe what's happening today, that Israel is regathered again together, but there's this maybe intermediary period of time where God is waiting for them to turn their face back to him before we enter into um, this blessing where perhaps they'll get the full extent of the land promised to them by Abraham. Right now they're occupying a small portion of that. And of course, there's a lot, there's a distinct lack of peace um, that they're experiencing over there. So, and then, I mean, even if we look at 38, verse 38 in this passage, kind of at the tail end, I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I'll bring them out of the land where they sojourn. They shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So to me, this verse is one of the ones that make it clear that there is a regathering of Israel in unbelief because there's wrath involved, there's judgment involved, all in preparation for something to come. And um, and uh, and can I just say something about that last verse? Um, I, yeah. I you know in preparation for this broadcast every week and just and out of just my personal love for it, I listen to a lot of t- uh, news talk radio out of Israel. Uh, with just the internet today, I can. I, honestly, as I'm listening to this stuff, I feel like I'm a Jew living in Jerusalem or something like that. You kind of like on the ground kind of stuff. What's going on there? And uh, there's this guy that is actually building a a Jewish center on the like not just a synagogue, but like a whole Jewish center on the top of the or on on the Mount of Olives or in that uh, in that region. Uh, really, the first synagogue that's been there, I think, in like 2,000 years. And they have a real temporary one now, and they're trying to build a bigger one, and they're raising money and that kind of stuff. And I, I found uh, something that he said, though, uh, struck me. You know, this isn't Christian talk radio at all. This is this is Jewish, uh, Orthodox Jewish, um, not Messianic uh, radio. So, but I just I, I feel like it gives me kind of the heartbeat of what's going on in Israel. And uh, this guy, uh, he said it, it's very interesting because the question was, well, how safe is it? You know, how safe is the area and so forth? And he said, you know, it's where they live. It's very safe and all this. But what uh, it's very interesting because he said that as what he has noticed, as he's lived there some 12 years, as more Jews move in and as more Jews settle in the area, the more Arabs move out. And actually not just uh, like Mm -hmm. to another town, but actually out of the country and go to different places around the world. So there, there appears to be, and I personally need to look, kind of look more into that, kind of the, the statistics and the facts and all of that as much as, I can, as much as I can gather. But that was a bit of a revelation to me because, you know, the question is if, if verses like uh, verse 38 are actually going to come to pass or how are they going to do that, and hopefully we, we certainly don't want that to happen in any kind of violent way. Well, I mean, honestly, if you, if you look at kind of the pure teachings of Islam, uh, Jews are not a high up 
on on the pecking order, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, uh, Jews are actually pr- pretty far down, if not uh, like below a pig. So to to a lot of Muslims, just even the presence of Jews is like unclean. And so the more Jews come, I think the more of them are like, uh, let's get out of here. And even if they don't think they're unclean or whatever, it's just well, we don't want to live uh, around Jews. And and even um, uh, as I read the history of like the kind of the early 1900s and the British mandate for Palestine and the forming of the modern state of Israel, I mean, there was a big issue with Jewish immigration because, I mean, literally uh, they the, uh, they said there was one, I believe, head of state or vice head of state that said, uh, you know, the, the, the Arabs can handle Christians. The Arabs don't mind Christians, but they cannot stand the Jews. And so uh, this is, it's just in there, it's in the culture, it's in the holy books. And so uh, and very interesting. I just learned this like a couple of days ago. There appears to maybe be like a, a soft, um, kind of a soft replacement or displacement where they voluntarily pick up and go. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. So that's that's the passage in Ezekiel. Um, I'm going to bring up another passage. Uh, if we look in Daniel, we're going to look in Daniel 9. And um, Love Daniel. I'm going to start in verse 2, but I'm going to skip... Uh, verse 2 all the way to verse 24 where the actual prophecy that Daniel uh, makes actually is written down. So in verse 2, I'm going to start in the middle. He says, um, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then I'm going to skip uh, to verse 24 and read from verse 24 to the end of the chapter, I think, in verse 27. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. For half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and suffering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay, so that is that is uh, headful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but basically, there's a lot there, right? What I want to use to illustrate is that and this, this prophecy is actually key to a lot of prophecy. What happens, uh, as I understand it, this, this particular prophecy, these just these few verses, put together and help realize a lot of prophecies made in, by other prophets before Daniel, like Jeremiah. And, um, but the thing is, is that um, what this is, this is essentially putting an entire... This is putting an entire um, history in just a few sentences. 
I believe that Daniel is receiving, from, he's actually hearing from the angel Gabriel. If you read a few verses before where we started, you'll see that Gabriel interrupts Daniel in the middle of his prayer and speaks these things to him to give him this information. And um, so Daniel receives this information. And what does he say this information is for? At the very beginning of verse two, he says that all of this is the amount of years, the number of years that must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem. And um, then he uses this term weeks and 70 weeks, seven weeks, 62 weeks. Um, and that confused people for a while. But I think now in, in general, uh, most theologians are on the same page. This word weeks in Hebrew actually is the word um, uh, Shavua, Shavua in the ancient Hebrew. And it's typically used, especially back then, it was typically used to refer to a week of days, seven days, right? But um, it's more generically, it can be just a, a unit of seven. The word actually just means seven or a unit of seven. Um, so theologians now, I think, are pretty clear that um, the weeks that Daniel's talking about here are weeks of years. So it's not seven days that we're talking about. It's seven years. So we've got 77 years, uh, which in total is 490, right? 490 years. Right. Um, the thing, though, is that uh, we can see people have done the math work to determine um, from the time that the roads uh, of Jerusalem were rebuilt to uh the end of the 69 weeks, we've got the seven weeks, right? Um, that he first said uh, in verse 24, and then he adds another 62. Whenever we're talking about an anointed one, a prince, which to me, I believe is Jesus, talking about Jesus. Absolutely. And if you look at the time that the roads were built to the time that um, around Jesus's death on the cross, it, it, it equals the uh, it equals the 69 weeks of seven years each to uh, to the T, really. Yeah, and, and uh, that, but that the problem is, is I was just going to say that can't be underscored enough in terms of biblical prophecy. Is it, it's worth? I'll just say this: it's worth a study to to look at that and it's to look at uh, yeah. when you know the the 69 times seven years from when, the, like you said, those roads were built. And the anointed one, which is the word in, in Hebrew, uh, Mashiach, the Messiah, would be cut off. The NIV puts it put put to death or however you translate it. But either way, I mean, that is, it is very, very, very significant. Right. So the problem is, is that the, it's, theologians have a hard time dealing with that last week because what's said to happen in that last week doesn't clearly happen in the time directly after the 69 weeks um, concluded went on Jesus's you know, Calvary Hill or whatever. So in general, like I said, this is where we get into to stuff where I have to say, you know, this is what I've researched, this is what I think, but it could change and I'm not sure. But I believe that there is an intermediary, intermediary period between the first 69 weeks and that last seven weeks. And that last seven weeks sounds incredibly similar 
to that great tribulational period that we were talking about earlier that you mentioned. Um, a seven, it's a seven-year tribulation period. The first half, they're dealing with the prince. Second half, he puts an end to sacrifice, and there's this abomination and stuff. All of that to say, all of this, you know, listener might be listening and seeing, okay, how in the world does any of this apply to the modern state of Israel? Well, it's just to say that this is the entire history of Jerusalem in one piece. And we see that before the seventh week, before, or not the seventh, the seventieth week, before the last week of years occurs, whenever that may occur in the future, Israel has to be uh, in place politically because they're going to be working with a prince who is to come, which I believe is uh, akin to the Antichrist figure that John sees in his uh, revelation uh, that Daniel saw earlier in chapter 7, uh, sees this Antichrist figure. Um, anyway, so Israel has to be a nation before all of that can happen, which means for the last 2,000 years, the fact that Israel wasn't a nation and now is means that, you know, that's just one more thing to prepare for this coming of the 70th week, which would be the end, the final end of all the desolations that Jerusalem will experience. And they've experienced a lot. So, and I don't think that's um, that's, that that's too far fetched. I just want to interject, you know, because just because something isn't maybe as abundantly clear as we would like it to, you know, take for example that there would be two comings of the Messiah. Right? The the Jews were initially expecting and are still expecting a political ruler. And it's interesting to listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and it's Jews talking about the coming of the Messiah. These are people living in Jerusalem, on the street, I mean, that is still what they are, what they are expecting, but the, that actually isn't what happened. Uh, it, it wasn't abundantly clear, but there was a first coming of the Messiah as a, as a suffering servant, and then second coming of the Messiah will, will be <laughs> that political rule, maybe a, a, a political realm much greater than even still what they're thinking right now, right? Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's it's not far fetched. Uh, in the same way, I think that we could see we've got the the sixty nine weeks that ultimately ended when uh, the anointed one, the Messiah, was cut off in thirty A D with with his crucifixion, and then that last week being at some unknown time in the future. Right. So that's that's what we see in Daniel. That to me, Daniel makes it clear that Israel has to be a nation politically before all that stuff can happen, and it's not necessarily in faith, you know. If we were to go deeper into an understanding of the great tribulational period of time, we'll see that Israel is being deceived by a character that's referred to as the Antichrist, a, a human person. And so for them to be deceived so majorly like that, I would think that they would not necessarily be obeying the voice of the Lord. So that would require Israel to be a nation, but not in faith. So that that goes to to align with maybe what we're seeing today, Israel being a nation politically, but not necessarily turning their face toward the Lord and obeying his voice right now. Right, right. So then I would move on to the last verse that I have for this particular uh, regathering. I call it regathering number one, the regathering in unbelief. And it's again in Ezekiel. And we'll, you'll see Ezekiel come up again when we start talking about the other gathering, because Ezekiel is one of the main places where a lot of this prophecy is made about this, these major international regatherings of Israel. Because Ezekiel was writing during the time you mentioned earlier, 
Babylonian exile for 70 years or so, uh, the Jews were captive of the the of Babylon, and so he was giving the he was receiving uh, the word of the Lord prophecy to give to his people to give them hope. And so, if we look in Ezekiel 36, uh, this one's maybe a little bit longer. I'm going to read from verses 16 to the end of verse 24. Verse 16 starts: The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So if we start back in verse 16, we see that Israel is living impurely. We see that God out on them. And then verse 19, I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. To me, that sounds very similar to what we saw historically in 70 AD when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed and the great uh, diaspora, Jews being spread out among literally every nation. And I don't know if it was with you, but I was talking with some people earlier there's a significant population of Jews in China, China of all places. There are Jews in China. Wow. You know? Wow. And, I mean, that's like uh, the last so place we, we see, that's like the last know, place we think of Jews being, right? Or like even Orient, Oriental nations right. and so forth, and yet yet there they are. They, they are there. Jews are everywhere. They they've been they've been spread out among the nations, dispersed throughout the countries. And yet what do we see at at the very end of this passage that I read in verse 24, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, you know, the, not the, the entirety of the Jewish population is not in Israel, but a significant portion. And I think you mentioned earlier that there are more Jews in, in the modern state of Israel today than are anywhere else. Well, and is I that right? Yeah, that, that's right. And I remember years ago listening to a theologian which had more of a replacement covenant covenantal view, or maybe you could say, I think he called it ful fulfillment. The I don't remember, but it was basically replacement theology. And you know, his comment was, yeah, you know, there are more Jews in New York City than there are than there are in Israel, and, and so forth. Well, it's just actually so that was like probably 2006 when I was listening to this guy, and. Uh, it's actually been in the past few years where we can say there are more Jews like living in Israel than anywhere else, and that actually even more than that, that the Jews um, in Israel now represent uh, at least half, if not a little bit more than half, of the world Jewish population. So it's, it's very significant, and I'll say this as well, 
as I'm listening to talk radio out of Israel, and I listen to show after show after show, one of the things that they hammer home, and sometimes they are just brutal. They're, <laughs> they're relentless uh, on each other, and they're like, you know, especially after the, uh, the San Diego synagogue shooting or the, the Tree of Life shooting in, I believe it was, uh, I think it was Pennsylvania, they're, ju- they're just like, look, th- this wouldn't have happened if the, the Jews had been home. If they had been in their land, they would still be alive. There's no reason why you guys need to be out in the diaspora, which means like the scattering, right? Um, y'all need to be back in the land amongst your own people, protecting your nation, supporting your nation. I mean, they are just, they're relentless, <clears throat> excuse me, about calling their fellow Jews back to their homeland. Now, not all Jews are like that, you know. Um, many don't have those same convictions, but there's but there's a strong group of them that have very strong convictions. And so, uh, if I can give a, another antidote, I or anecdote, and, uh, but I was I was on I commented on this story on Twitter some an, uh, some anti-Semitism out of Germany, and I made a comment and I just said if I was Jewish living in Germany, I would strongly consider making Aliyah which, as you mentioned earlier, means uh, a Jew that uh, decides to come home to, to live in Israel. And so this, uh, this uh, Jewish guy living in uh, Israel forwards my tweet to a Jewish friend of his living in Germany to basically say, hey, listen to this, listen to this guy, you need to listen to what he says, you know? And, and I just I just remember thinking to myself, wouldn't that be something if I had a little small part in uh, the fulfillment of this kind of thing, you know, of of, uh, of this guy coming back from uh, Germany to, to live in Israel. But there's a strong movement. They want as many Jews as there as possible uh, for, I think, for their, uh, obviously, just, even just for national security. And uh, uh, the more the more Jews that are there, then voting blocks and so forth will help kind of keep them uh, keep them protected. But uh, but yeah, it's it's strong. It's uh, amongst the Jews themselves. It's a very strong uh, movement to call them back home. Yeah. So this passage in Ezekiel 36, you know, again, we see a regathering of an international, a great international regathering of Israel back into this singular land. And but again, faith, you know, obedience, none of that has to do with what's happening here. Um, Right. Which is why, I mean, when we start, when we finish here, we move on to the next three verses, we'll see that that that's a distinct difference because there are there there is prophecy that is conditional upon the Jews being obedient to the Lord again, and that regathering is, I think is is made different. So absolutely. So there we go. Those those are the three verses that I think you know. Like I said, I hope that I can put together a, a comprehensive list of all of the passages that I've sifted through, and and even ones that I didn't get to yet. Sure. Um, but these are the three that I think best illustrate. The idea of what we see, what we saw happen in 1948—a political Israel that that came together, became a, a nation, seemingly miraculously—I um, think it's the hand of God working through the world to, you know, to bring these people into this area. Um, but again, it has nothing to do with faith, not yet. And even further, I think it would be important to note that. If we, were, if we look specifically at Ezekiel 20, the first verse that we mentioned, the first passage that we mentioned, 
it's in preparation for judgment, uh, which is a scary thought. But, um, you know, we're talking about the, the grand history of Israel and, and Daniel makes it clear that all of this stuff needs to happen before the end of the final end of desolations for Jerusalem. When we enter into the millennial kingdom and Israel has peace and prosperity for eternity. And they are the, they are the place, I mean, I don't want to go too deep into it, but they are the place where Christ will rule over the earth and perhaps the entire universe forever and ever. Jerusalem. Wow. wow. So there well, is still a plan for Israel. And this is just these kind of, I mean, this talk about judgment is a, is but a blip in something much, much grander blessings that even the Jews I'm sure don't realize. Uh, wow. Even I, you know, right. scholars of the scripture are not fully, we're not, we're not really reckoning on the, the majesty that that is going to be the future glory of Israel and Christ through it. So, amen. Amen. Anyway. And, just, and just to let you know, Thanny, when, uh, in regards to time, we, we probably need to, uh, you know, wrap this, have this wrapped up within about 20 minutes. Okay. Okay. Good deal. All right. So moving on to the second half, um, I'm not going to spend too much, uh, as much time on, on this regathering as I spent on the other one, because it's really just talking about a future regathering. The point of this episode broadcast is to talk about the modern state of Israel, not the future state of Israel. But um, I think it's important to make the distinction so that, you know, we know, we can see the difference between some of the Old Testament prophecy that I think talks about what happened uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago and what what is going to happen with the Jewish people in the future. So I'm going to start with passages in Deuteronomy, near the end of Deuteronomy, um, chapters 28, 29, and 30. And... Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's too much to read, but basically I'll, I'll try to get in some of the main points. I'll skip around and uh, hopefully tell you where I am so you don't get lost. But <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, so I'm going to start in chapter 28, and I'm going to move through verses uh, 63, no, 62 to 60, 64, 65. So whereas you were numerous, numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So this is, remember, we're talking, this is Moses uh, with the Jews near the latter part of the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, right before they were entering the promised land, Moses reveals this prophecy. So they're about to enter the land to take possession of it, but in the future they will be plucked off the land because of their disobedience that we see in, at the end of verse 62. It sounds a lot like maybe the last thousand years. They've been plucked off the land. Now they're, now they're back. But the so 64, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, blah, blah, blah. And among these nations, this verse 65, shall find no respite. Thou shalt be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you their trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing soul. So again, sounds a lot like what happened really from 70 AD onward. 
the oh. Jews were spread across the entirety of the earth. Yeah, that is that's a, that um, really is the story of the Jews of the last two thousand years, and even when they uh, were accepted and they got comfortable in a particular country and so forth, there seems just like it wouldn't be a generation before anti-Semitism raised its ugly head, and uh, it, it's just it's it's awful. <laughs> it's it, the, the history is yeah. so tough. So now I'm going to skip to chapter 29, uh, beginning of chapter 29, I believe. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. So this is the Palestinian covenant. This is where the Palestinian covenant is. We talked about that last week. Now we're seeing it in Scripture here. And uh, Moses, who is the writer of Deuteronomy, is making a clear distinction between the covenant that is being made right here in the land of Moab versus the covenant that he received with the law in the land of Horeb. So now we're seeing the distinction that the Palestinian covenant is different, and you know that helps us to uh, ensure that the promises that are made in the Palestinian covenant are you know not nullified by the previous one. So uh, I'm going to skip again. Uh, let's see. Verse 27. Uh, so in verse 26, he talks about the Jews being in the land of Egypt, serving other gods, worshiping them. Then verse 27, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are in this day. And then verse 1 of chapter 30 and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God, Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord will gather you, and from there he will take you. And wow. the Lord God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. I'm not going to read more. There's a lot of blessings talked about, you know, flourishing, prospering. If we look at Israel today, we don't see that. And I think the reason why we don't see that is because this particular regathering that we're talking about here is dependent upon what? In verses 2. And return to the Lord your God and obey his voice with all your heart right. and your soul. And, and we don't see that today. But again, it talks about an, uh, an international regathering. You know, the Lord has scattered them across the earth, potentially again. And if they're in the uttermost parts of heaven, he's going to gather them, he's going to grab them, put them together, and put them back into the land that your fathers possessed, which is the land that we now call Palestine, but the land that was promised to Abraham. And it's all conditional upon obedience. And then we see the blessings that follow that. And, and so I think all of that is to say that this is clearly not what has happened what is happening today. I don't think anyone would be able to say that, that Israel is, is flourishing, that, that uh, all of their enemies are under their foot, they're prospering in every way, 
I mean, there may be some of that, sure, you could justify some of that, but in general, I think that we, we look at what's happening in Israel and we see a lot of unrest, see a lack of peace, constant enemies are a very real threat, you know, you've got enemies up north in Lebanon, you've got this Palestinian uprisings, and I mean, you could maybe input more on the actual political realm nowadays, I don't know too much, but... Six, I get the sense six, that yeah, you know, enemies still exist. Yeah, 650 rockets fired from Gaza indiscriminately at uh, you know random uh, sites in in Israel. It's just like a few weeks ago. It, I mean, it, this yeah. stuff is, and then you have you have a constant um, uh, issue with the at the border with Gaza and Israel with uh, protests and even violent protests, and they're burning hundreds of acres of land with these incendiary balloons and. You know, it, it's just, it is, it is. They do not really, uh, I don't say really, they do not have rest in the land. No. no doubt about it. They have to be on their guard. Their military, which, thank God, is, is first class and aids in their defense greatly, their military has to be top-notch. They can't make mistakes. You know, it is, they have to have this Iron Dome defense missile system to, to knock down missiles that come their way, but even that only took care of like a few hundred of the 650 rockets. Yeah. I mean, four Jews died in the in, in the midst of, of all of that, and I know about 25 or so uh, Gazans did as well. So it, it it is it's it's constant, it's never ending, and they they are not at rest and at peace in the land in any sense of the way that uh, God said in the scriptures. So what we read here in Deuteronomy is clearly not what's happening today. Um, this kind of regathering, this is, this is what brings me to believe that there's a future regathering that I think is likely going to be fulfilled in the millennium when Christ comes down and he's ruling over the entire world and there's this um, unimaginable peace, something that we've never seen before, exists over the whole earth and, and Israel will be the center of it. So all that to say, different, different regrabbing, clearly different than the verses we read before. And it's going to be similar to what we are about to read uh, in Isaiah. I'm going to pull out as Isaiah 11. I'm going to start in verse 10, read through verse, uh, really just verse 12. So in that day, um, he's talking about the day of the Lord. Um, he's mentioned that previously. In that day, the root of Jesse, which is another term for Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for the people's, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time hmm. to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So the reason why this verse, this verse really is pivotal to my, my current perception of there being two distinct international regatherings, and it's because of verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from all of these places, um, which means that there had to have been a first time. What is the first time? Well, some people look at this verse and think that maybe the first time is uh, whenever Israel recovered after the Babylonian exile. Um, in the time of Ezekiel, the Jews were captive of 
captive of the Babylonians. And after 70 years or so, they regathered together in their homeland from all over the place. But the problem that I have with that, that interpretation is that this verse requires a much more international view than the Babylonian regathering was. Um, we're talking about the four corners of the earth at the end of verse 12, everywhere from across the earth. And then, he, then you know, Isaiah specifically mentions uh, what almost 10 different nations that Jews had to come from to constitute this regathering the second time. So I don't think that Babylonian recovery meets this requirement, which is why I believe that this verse makes it clear that there's a, a first time that all this happens, which I think maybe the first time is 1948. This is this from the four corners of the earth, from all of these places. You know, they have more modern names. To be honest, I don't know. I think Pathros is probably Greece and Kush is maybe Ethiopia, but then some of the others I get lost yeah, on. I don't know. <laughs> but but Jews coming from all over the world, that did not happen at the Babylonian recovery, but it has happened already in 1948. And I think that this second time that Isaiah is talking about is a future time in the day of the Lord, which is commonly referring to the end times narrative, the, the millennium. So in that day, the, the day of the Lord, the root of Jesse or Jesus will stand as a signal and he will extend his hand and recover all of Israel from all of these places. So that's, that's really all that I say about that. But really, I, I would like to say that Isaiah 11, this passage has been pivotal to my, my current understanding. Um, like I said, <laughs> this broadcast could come out, my entire viewpoint might change. You know, it's, I'll be honest, it's pretty fickle right now because this topic is really complicated. But, but uh, to me, it seems pretty, pretty damning evidence that there are two distinct international regatherings, and the Babylonian recovery doesn't count as one in the sense that Isaiah requires it from yeah. the text. Yeah, and I'll, just, I'll uh, actually affirm what you're saying, because uh, for me, when I was doing my prelim preliminary research for this broadcast as well, it was really Isaiah 11 that made me go, oh, because my big question was, of course, you know, all these scriptures about the regathering of Israel, you know, could you make that argument that they were fulfilled in, you know, again, like the early 500s B.C., in Ezekiel's time with the with the regathering, but there are just you know if you're going to really just take these scriptures and their place value and in their face value and not try to spiritualize it all because it doesn't fit you know whatever kind of theological construct that that we want it to fit into. If you just let it speak for itself and take the plain uh, literal meaning of it, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And I, I saw this scripture about the about the second you know, even the second regathering. Now, when I saw the scripture, I, I thought immediately that that meant like 1948, and the first one referred to, um, you know, the, the, Babel, uh, the Babylonian exile return. Uh, but, I, I mean, I, I see your argument here, you know, that this very well, the first one could have been the, the 1948 uh, establishment of Israel, and maybe you could say the Zionist movement, because there was decades of Jewish immigration before that back into um, the land of Israel. And uh, and then of course the uh, you know uh, like what you're saying the second one being uh, uh, when basically when right before Christ comes back or uh, or about that time the beginning of the 
of the millennial reign of Christ on earth. So this, this scripture, to me, I agree, was very pivotal in moving my understanding of the subject. Because I'll be honest with the audience, uh, when I kind of came into this uh, <laughs> with any ahead of time, I, I really hadn't looked at this issue very much. I, I delved into biblical prophecy as a very young Christian. Uh, it would, that was like my thing for a couple years, but I got real burnt out on it, and I got kind of tired of it. So I've just really let it lie for about like really since then, since like the late 90s. <laughs> so um, yeah. I'm having kind of my, as Israel's having their revival, I'm kind of having my own revival of interest and in, uh, in understanding of biblical prophecy. But yeah, no, I, I, again, that's a long-winded say. I've just, I, I concur. Isaiah 11 is extremely important to the, to the conversation. Yeah. So to finish out, I know I think that we're probably running short on time, but to finish out the last passage I wanted to talk about to illustrate this second regathering is in Ezekiel 37. It's really the whole the whole book of his, uh, the whole chapter of Ezekiel 37. But like I said, it's too much to read. Um, but I, I encourage you as a listener to, if you're interested, go and read it because it is very um, it's a, it's a very it's a very key prophecy. I think um, we talked about it last week uh, at the very end. Ryan read the that sermon by Spurgeon, and it was about this passage. This is the the prophecy of the valley of dry bones that Ezekiel saw. And uh, so all I'm going to do for this last one, I'm just going to cherry pick a few verses um, that I've highlighted here that are key to understanding why this one is different than what we saw in 1948 or even before with all of the immigration the Zionists were doing. So verse 14, chapter 37 and I will put my spirit within you, the Jews, and you shall live, and I will place you into your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. So here, chronologically, God is putting uh, the Holy Spirit within the Jewish people before they are being placed into their land, which this one doesn't jive with what we see today because you know the Jews aren't living in obedience to God. But this is why this I think that this particular chapter is talking about a future regathering that we see perhaps before or at the beginning of the millennium. Then I go to verse 21. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and will bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, but I will save them from all the black backsliding sin which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So first of all, we see them all being regathered, but what makes this gathering distinctly different than the three the first three verses we read for the first gathering is is that in verse 22 we have a king a king shall be king over them all mm -hmm. and they are no longer doing anything with idols but then we even see this phraseology and they shall be my people and i will be their god and that is nearly identical to the way that john puts it in his revelation in the new testament in revelation chapter 21 which again is talking about the millennial kingdom. That in, I think, yeah, again, if we skip down to, to verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. So a new covenant, a brand new covenant, 
a covenant of peace. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Again, this is nearly identical to the way that John puts it. I think, honestly, John is probably maybe stealing from uh, Ezekiel here. Uh, when he wrote Revelation, he's using the same terminology because he's identifying his revelation with what Ezekiel prophesied many, many years before, which is this international regathering that we see here requires a king and requires God's dwelling place to be with them and that his sanctuary is in their midst forevermore and that he sanctifies Israel. There's a new spirit in them. None of that stuff I don't think we can honestly say is happening today, which is why I think that all of these these last three scriptures are talking about uh, some future regathering. Another, we'll see it again. What we saw in 1948 and even before that, we'll see, we'll likely see again, maybe on a, a bigger scale with much bigger prosperous blessings. I mean, it'll be, it'll be something to see for sure. That's, that's all that I have, uh, you know, for today's broadcast, really. Uh, like I said, it's a lot, and, and I've sure. tried to boil it down succinctly. Right. But, um, but yeah. Okay, well, I mean, this this has been fascinating from beginning to end. Um, I, you know, I'm familiar with uh, a, a lot of, you know, the topics and the overview, but I've definitely learned a lot from the past uh, couple broadcasts, and I really can't thank you enough for the time and effort that you put into doing this to, to bring to our listeners. I'm used to talking straight for an hour or more on these broadcasts, and um, it's been really neat to be able to sit and just learn and interject at times, of course, uh, but it's been, it's been really, really illuminating. So uh, thank you so much for, for doing this and putting all this together. Well, honestly, it's my pleasure, and um, I, I look forward to doing it again, you know. Maybe not with this topic. I maybe need a break from this topic <laughs> yeah. for a couple of weeks at least. But, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, let's, you know. Oh, yeah. So I think that this is a good conversation to keep having, you know. It's absolutely. prophecy that's happening today. Uh, you know, it's, we're seeing the hand of God do something throughout history, and, you know, it is pretty incredible to think that, um, you know, if you believe what I'm, if what I'm talking about, then we're living in a period, we're seeing words that were spoken by some old dead Jewish guy from 3,000 years ago come into fruition in our lifetime. Right, right. It, and this really is an incredibly exciting time to be alive. If you think about like the early Zionist movement, they probably thought the same thing, Right. But, wow, what a time to be alive we're seeing. Or maybe you lived in 1948 and you saw the nation of Israel restored. We're 71 years removed from that. And so we're getting to see things that, I mean, people only dreamed about getting to see in the geopolitical realm. And so it, it, it's a very exciting time to be alive. And, look, you, you live in Lebanon. I mean, how, yeah. how far away is Jerusalem from where you live? Uh, you know, not but. 50 miles, probably, 100 miles wow. at most. Uh, so uh, let me just say, if there's ever a time where you're seeing some interesting developments, 
uh, when it comes to the, the nation of Israel, the regathering, or even Israeli-Lebanese relations or whatever it is, um, I would love it. Just let me know. Say, hey, Ryan, I'd love to come uh, back on the broadcast and talk about some stuff that's going on. You just let me know, and you've got an open, <laughs> you've got an open invitation. Um, you're 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 pretty close to ground zero there, and I can't say I'm not. I can't say I'm not a little bit envious. Um, but and again, we've talked about this before. But uh, I would definitely love to um, when I'm able to get out to the Middle East um, to visit you there at your studio in Lebanon, and uh, would love to do some love to do some further shows. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I I, th- I think with this whole subject, uh, you know, there there are two words that kind of come to my mind when I think about kind of the past two episodes, what we've been talking about. Number one, just fascinating. The whole thing is just fascinating. It, it really is. It, it's a long story, right? This, the, the story of the Jews is a very, very long story. And we are basically, I believe, we're, we're very close to the apex. To the, to, we're approaching the climax of the story. Um, and then I think in not the not-too-distant future will be in the denouement, which really brings me to my second word, which is hopeful. It's, uh, there's, there's a lot, a lot of hope, and, and that's been my aim with this broadcast is to hopefully instill some hope in people in the region because it's very difficult, or it's very easy, rather, to look at the region and say, oh, my gosh, this is just... This place is crazy. You know, will any peace ever come? Well, let me just say this. There is stuff happening today that just I, that people never imagined would happen. Uh, notwithstanding the, the state of Israel, uh, uh, the state of Israel being formed, but even the embassy being moved to Jerusalem, I was at a think tank, think tank at Rice University, and I had this, this guy who's a diplomat for like, 50 years get up and say Trump's not moving Trump's not moving the uh uh the, the embassy to Jerusalem Trump's not doing it all these other presidents have promised to do it Trump's not doing it you know and um and I don't blame the guy so much because he's seen like the previous presidents promise to do the same thing and and not do it but boom <laughs> it happened right we're just like oh my gosh and then the US um basically saying that um uh, is uh, Jerusalem's the capital of Israel as well. We're just we're living, in, and then you've got the uh, Arab, the relationship between Israel and the Arab nations that have formed. Uh, it's 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 really 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 uh, outstanding to see some of the the positive positive developments. But like we talked about, it's they're they're not at rest in the land yet. But uh, it, I think we can we can trust like. So much scripture has been fulfilled already, and so there's no reason why we should expect that the rest of the scripture uh, will not uh, be fulfilled. So, um, it, any any parting words for us, Thanny, before we uh, before we uh, end the show? I guess I would just add, uh, you know, don't take it from me. Uh, you know, I hopefully I I want to add all of this research or just at least some of the notes that I've made, uh, resources to look at, you know, in the show notes and, uh, you know, look into it yourselves because, uh, it's, uh, like I said, like I've constantly said before, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent confident. I wouldn't die for this stance that I'm on, but, um, it's definitely something worth looking at. And, um, 
and I hope that we've piqued your interest. That's that's all I got to say. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, again, we'll have Thanny's information, uh, his ministry, and his music up online at midisnewsbrief.com, as well as uh, any outlines and notes that, that he provides for us. And again, just want to say just a special, special thank you uh, to Thanny and for all the work that he has done. Also, our incredible producer, Michael Yearout, who has just done an outstanding job keeping us connected as we've been uh, over here in the U.S. Um, talking to Thanny in Lebanon. It's really gone uh, without a hitch. And so it's very cool that our first uh, intercontinental interview is, a, is on the book. So that'll do it again for this week's edition of Midi News Brief. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app if you have not already. And again, thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll, use, we'll see all of you guys right here back again next week.